Yes, you lovely people, if you're not already, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify. And he said, look, you see them, them boys, they might have a lot of talent. They might have a lot of talent, but they haven't got what we've got in this dressing room. And as you said it, honestly, every I'm one of us. I'm getting I'm mad good. My eyes are watering. <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fozcast. Today we have got what I honestly think will be one of the most interesting episodes. Tom, do you agree? 100%. 100%. Yeah. I am really looking forward to diving into this one. Uh, we have got Dr. Suzanne Brown, who is a... I'll let you I'll let you describe yourself, Suzanne. Thank Go you. on, you, the floor is yours, take it away. Thank you. So I'm a clinical psychologist and an emotional fitness consultant, and I'm the founder of Emotionally Connected. Beautiful. That's You said that so much better yeah. than what I'd have been able to say that. Um, okay, Suzanne, so the reason we've got you in today is yeah. because um, I've, I've had a 20-year career in sport, okay, and I was very lucky when I was younger, when I first started really playing first-team football, that we had a psychologist at Watford FC who honestly helped me so much. He set in place kind of like the foundations that I have carried on not only in football but throughout life for, the, for since like I say for the last 20 odd years yeah. um and I think in this day this sort of like modern age of football it's so much more prevalent that people are struggling with their mental health and especially in sport I see it with some of these young kids it's a, it's a young man's sport it is Tom isn't it it's a young man's sport and they just don't seem to have the help that they need it's not just that though, Ben, just to caveat that and uh, position us for the rest of the episode. It's not always, when we were doing the research, Jamie and I and Frank were talking about it and we said it's not just about picking people up from a low position, it's about elevating people from being good and enabling them to be the best. So it, it, it works on all levels of the spectrum, doesn't it? Yeah, and again, I guess you guys have already positioned it really, really well and what a great experience for you to have such a great experience with psychology because at times that's not people's experience right they don't have a good experience then they think well all psychology is like that or all psychologists are like this and it, it gets its own stigma around it but I'm 100% in agreement so I obviously work in terms of therapy uh, with people around their mental health but the emotional fitness part is around exactly what you're saying that we all have emotional fitness we can all work proactively on that to increase that and that's the stuff where you don't have to be in crisis. You don't have to be, you know, experiencing something really traumatic. You could just want to improve yourself. You could want to go to your next Okay, level. so that's actually my leading question then. Okay, so mm. if somebody approaches you to do some work with you, to, to get some help, to find out more, yeah. is, has that person recently sort of um sort of they've been through some sort of diversity something bad has happened to them they're, they're struggling they're struggling mentally or do you ever get people who come to you and they're like no everything's absolutely fine um i just want to get some building blocks in place to know that if something does happen how to deal with or, it or just be a bit better yeah both and so you absolutely get people that come in crisis because the, the issue often is that um we all have these coping mechanisms and they'll all work until they don't, right? Like a global pandemic will throw a spanner in the works with a lot of our coping mechanisms. So all of a sudden what has been working stops working and you can no longer ignore the problem. Like it is really in your face, it's affecting and it's you know destroying relationships, it's destroying you at work on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum is exactly that that some of the people do the best work when they're feeling really robust mentally they're feeling really um 
solid. And so they're now thinking, how can I elevate this? How can I take myself to the next level? Particularly if you're thinking about leaders, right? They are in charge of, you know, a lot of employees. They are in charge of the culture of their organizations. So these people are really important to be focusing on in terms of thinking about improving their well-being because it ripples out. So it is both and. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, you mentioned COVID there. Okay, yeah. so have you noticed in, what is it, two years? Are we two years down the two line now? Has there been an increase in sort of uh, demand? Exponential. Really? Like to, not just for me. I know many um, psychologists in practice across clinical and sports, but are just full to capacity. We're having to say we have no room. We're referring on. Um, so many more people are coming forward. And if you think about it, if you think about those coping mechanisms I was talking about earlier on, um, it makes me think about we in psychology there's this term called sublimation and it essentially just means that we can take some feelings that feel really socially unacceptable so one of the most common ones anger people really struggle to feel angry and we can turn it into something positive so people go and have a gym workout they go for a run right mm-hmm. all of a sudden covid hits and you can't use those same coping mechanisms you can't go onto the pitch to run off some steam you can't go to box or whatever it might be now you're left with hold on i don't know what to deal with you know i haven't got these resources in place and a lot of complex issues are coming can i jump in i've got a i've honestly got a personal story of this so exactly what you've just said there okay so when when covid first started again i was quite honestly one of the first person to get covid like i was the first person at watford fc to get it i was at home i was feeling really bad and we literally within days it was like everybody started falling down with it so at first i was thinking god please don't be the first one in the press like i don't want my name all over everything do you know what i mean but i was feeling rubbish honestly i was feeling so so bad um and then obviously football got called off really quickly didn't it and it was like nobody do you know what the the big thing the big problem was for me at first was i didn't know a time frame of when it was going to get back so i didn't know whether football would have restarted in three weeks three months i just didn't know and that bit for me I just, it sort of boggled my head. But and isn't that because, Ben, just sorry to interrupt, isn't that because you, for lesser, you know, greater or lesser kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Extent. Yeah, we might have to chop that bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, for, you're used to having a process yeah. and a routine. For 20 years, you've been told you report it here at nine o'clock. Okay, you finish at this match day. You go here pre-season. We're in this hotel for a week. Yeah, it's like being in the army. Sudden, it's regimented. Yeah, very regimented. regimented. You're waiting to be told what to do. Yeah. Okay, so I, so I've then realised at this point that I, so I started to feel really low at this point. Okay, I didn't know, like my my, I didn't have like the impetus to go and train, which is so weird because I'm the most active. I love going out on my bike. I'll do stuff with the kids out and blah blah blah. I was feeling a bit sort of like ill and low anyway kind of thing. But then like it was like a cloud in my head almost of like, I just don't want to do anything. And it was so weird because I didn't have a time frame. So then I realised I do all the cycling and the fitness work that I do because I know it benefits my football. Right. And then, but because I didn't have the football to go to, I didn't want to do it because it was almost like, well, what's the point? Yeah, like one fed the other yeah. and therefore but then, that's not available. Exactly. But the the normal man on the street, woman on the street, they don't have a football or a sporty job or something to go to. So 
they have to deal with this every single day of their lives so yeah. that happened to me and I remember at the time talking to Kate my, my I'm sorry my wife's really good with stuff like that she she's done um psychology course she went to Manchester Uni NLP courses all this yeah. kind of stuff so she knows how to sort of break it down and dissect it a little bit um so I I, I leaned on her massively but yeah personally for me that was like a, a massive eye-opener of like Whoa, this is, yeah. I guess it's given you a bit of perspective to people that aren't in your line of work as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they must think, I I, I know a lot of people do think football's all rosy and it's all, do you know what I mean? Everything's done for you and all that kind of stuff. It's not that simple. It really isn't. And we'll talk about it in a minute, I'm sure, because in sport nowadays, I honestly think it's, it's so, it's essential. It really is essential, Susan, that these young players, not even the young players, any player, anybody, they need to have some sort of, process of understanding what's happening to them when it's happening to them um because they have we have coaches for everything we do we have we have gym coaches we have like striker coaches we'll have goalie coaches you have a manager of your first team coach you have a you're literally a nutritionist somebody helping every other facet and aspect of that that sportsman's life but you don't have and you still don't really have it's still a bit of a taboo you don't have a psychologist on site which is bonkers, isn't it? It is. And can I just go back to what you said about um, the part with Kate? Because I was going to say, well, what helped, what worked yeah. for you? And the fact that just, A, it sounds like to me, you leaned into it, right? You didn't push away. Oh, there's this crowd. I think I did it first. I won't okay. lie. I, I really no, did no, it no, first. But then I kind of, honest. then I was like, right, no, you need to really sort of think about this and do it. And yeah. that's when I started like, oh, okay, cool. Because yeah. this is often about... I think what facilitates change for me is people's willingness to lean into what is uncomfortable, right? What is painful, what I don't want to look at. And when we can do that, we can then start to put words to it, right? So you were able to talk it through to make sense of it. And then it sounds like obviously that shifted for you. It didn't, you didn't stay in that place, right? You were able to work through Mm. to a different place at that point. But again, really honest of you to say, yeah, maybe at first I did push it away. I did try to suppress it. Really common. A lot of people do that. Inevitably, though, it's, it accumulates. So that, then it's not just this one thing. It's these six things that I've been suppressing and avoiding. Yeah. And you can't sudden, just keep suppressing that. You can't. No, it goes somewhere. Like our feelings go somewhere. And when they reside in us, often it turns into you know a poor immune system we get ill we get physically okay. sick yeah. how important is it for people to recognize their coping mechanisms because um like everybody in their life everyone has uh, adversity and hardship sure. and, and it was pointed out to me what my coping me- mechanisms were and it kind of was a bit of a light bulb moment where like for example i haven't played golf for years but if there's if i'm feeling low or something my go-to is to be withdrawn yeah. and go to the driving range. Uh-huh. And it's not something that I go, I, I'm dealing this. I'm going to go to the driving range. Yeah, it's not but conscious. It, yeah. yeah. And I was like, Do you know what? That's really interesting. So for me now, if I have the thought process, I kind of think, oh, okay, this is a... Something's going I, on in the background. Yeah, yeah. so I, yeah. then it makes me more thoughtful. Yeah, so can we lift up that and have a look at what yeah. is making me feel low? Mm. So it is really crucial because... Um, and, and again, like you've said, some of them we're conscious of, we're aware of. So I know I do this when I'm feeling low or I know I do this when I want to celebrate. This is how I celebrate. And others are more outside of our awareness. And it does need somebody to point out. It looks like you retreat. It looks like you go silent. It looks yeah. like because we're not aware of them. Mm. It, they're called defenses in psychology. And the whole point of them is they are outside of our awareness. They, they operate there mm. to help us. But again, it depends. Some of them are really destructive. So if you think about over drinking, turning to drugs, yeah, gambling, sure. which is really 
on the increase massively in sport um as i'm sure you've probably heard and yeah. you know it's it's kind of out there but um a lot all the way through to then really helpful coping mechanisms and so often in my line of work it's about people being at choice so the idea that actually until somebody pointed it out to you you weren't necessarily at choice you were just acting on habit right mm. and then when you're at choice when somebody says oh, i notice you go and do this then it's your choice to decide do i still want to keep doing that or do i want to do something different right yeah. and that to me is i think ideally part of the work i'm not ever there to tell somebody you must or you must not do this i'm there to say do you realize that you do this are you aware okay do you know that there's alternatives and now what do you want to do uh, uh, sorry, I play a game called Terraria, right? The, the lads right. laugh at me. It's like the it's like a kids game. I'm not okay. joking. It's on my laptop. It's like a, it's a bit like Minecraft. Yeah? Okay, yeah. So I'm I play this game. With Minecraft, yeah, yeah, but and I, I love playing it because every time I play it, I just I'm just calm and I've no I literally noticed like the lads are laughing at me. <laughs> I don't mind it. It's fine. It's cool. And it's is it's such you. a basic game, right? Uh -huh. But it, uh, every time I play it, I am just calm. That helps you. But you, I noticed that with you though. I've yeah. noticed that over the years. It used to be Zelda. A game called oh, Zelda, yeah, I yeah. That, and you yeah. go. I and, was an eighties child, and yeah. yeah. But when Ben takes him off, and it could be on a Nintendo Switch or whatever, and you kind of go, "Okay, that's his time." I've definitely and a bit OCD though, mate. Come on, I have got a bit of OCD. Oh as well. yeah, yeah. We all have yeah. levels, haven't we? But yeah, you could. But you can pick it. It's easy. It's so much easier. To, like I say, whether it's conscious and conscious, but yeah. it's so much easier to pick it out with other people. Sure. And I like to think of myself of quite an observant guy, and you know, understand people to a on a basic level yeah. but then to not pick this up in myself is yeah. like you think wow that's makes that's you incredible human. it makes yeah, you yeah, human. Yeah, yeah. yeah but self-awareness is a trait of emotional fitness so we can yeah. work on it like a muscle and we can practice things one of the tools like a five minute tool that i will talk to people about is name it frame it engage it so name it what are you feeling and that does require you to be intentional right you've got to stop you've got to pause instead of just going to the driving range you've got to pause and think <laughs> What do I feel? Yeah. Where am I feeling it? Framing it physically. This is the other thing. We can often say, I feel angry. I feel sad. And we're completely cut off from actually, how do we feel it? Like it's a word, but we're not feeling it. And then engage it visually. And I know we can talk about visualization, but what am I visualizing that I want to do with this feeling? And that is like a quick five minute tool that anybody can do to work on their emotional mm. fitness so you can you can start really small and you can build up to working yeah, sure. with somebody for i've got hour. i've got a couple of questions here okay so yeah. <clears throat> do you think in your opinion do you think men are better than women at sort of opening up or vice versa women are better than men at sort of acknowledging a problem and being open to trying to find a sort of an answer to this i i think great question i think there's a really big answer to that isn't there really which is about socially what we've been conditioned to think is acceptable mm -hmm. so right from a small child you know often boys are told what i mean what's the narrative you you know don't feel that yeah or boys don't cry men don't cry Man up, i do say a lot of suck it up to be fair yeah but again you will have learned that we're not born thinking those yeah, things yeah, yeah. right and and women on the flip side are often told that they're too emotional that they um yeah so i think it's it really varies if i think about the people that i've worked with um actually when you're sat there one-to-one -one, a lot of people are ambivalent they are unsure about opening up full stop you know i don't think i've ever worked with anybody that's come in and said 100 percent 
I want to look at what's been really painful and I've yeah, been running yeah. from. I'll tell you everything. Yeah, like that's yeah. really hard to do, right? Yeah. Like it takes a lot of courage. Um, so I would say, again, it is about once you've fostered that relationship, if you can create an environment where people feel that they can open up, obviously that's where the, the magic happens and that's where the, the great stuff comes from. But just, just, just going on to the point about Ben said about footballers and football clubs mm-hmm. have all of these professions at their disposal but a, a psychologist might not be yeah. on full time or on site yeah, yeah. now Ben made a very very interesting comment to me recently sure. we were when we were talking about the, the subject matter of this podcast and it was I think football clubs are maybe a little bit uh, hesitant because they're almost scared of what a psychologist might do and I think yeah. the phrase you used what was it about they don't want to build a pl- put a player back together like, so almost I said like, it was like an onion. I said they 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 feel like if they peel too many layers back, yeah. they they won't be able to put them back in time. It's like they haven't got enough time to do it because it's about the, the here and now. Yeah. Football's about yeah, it's so quick. One moving. game at a time, two games at a time, and even maybe one season. If you get a player on loan for a season, sure, yeah. for example, are the clubs Ben? I guess this question for you both a little bit scared as to what somebody in your profession might. I think Suzanne, you answer Do, that because know. you've you've worked in football clubs, haven't you? You've seen it for yeah. yourself. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think it's a great point, and I think it speaks to the narrative that can exist in sports. I don't think it's just football. I think obviously you hear it in football, yeah, but sure. of course it. And there is a lot about immediacy and short term and results and all of that. I often say to people, "Do you really think that this idea of you know, let's just avoid the Pandora's box and then we won't have to deal with it." it actually doesn't have some impact. We cannot not behave, right? The way that we, um, if we're trying to avoid something, it comes out in our behaviours, it comes out in our relationships, it comes out on the pitch, it comes out At some point it will. Of course it does. It comes out in the coping mechanisms that you're choosing to use and all of those can affect performance. So um, it it really varies, I think, on the person that you are sat with because... I've worked with people who have achieved, I mean, like outstanding level of success and they have been deeply unhappy, deeply miserable, did not feel any joy when they achieved these, you know, accolades that, and so we've got to ask, who is this for? You know, what are we doing if people are not feeling internally any joy from that? Um, But when it comes to, I think, again, then educating, because I think there's that stigma, isn't there, around psychology. It's a taboo. There is definitely still a taboo. And trying to help people understand there's the spectrum, right? There's the people that might need really deep work in therapy, and that's one part of it, but everybody can benefit from their emotional fitness. So actually being able to provide that to everybody, this is about them proactively, you are going to prevent Right, prevention better than cure yeah. anybody getting to the point where they are really struggling and then they can't perform they're actually i mean literally i've said to people you can't perform at this point in time so you you know they're not going to um and the doctor's been saying you can't perform they're at the point now where actually you've lost the player altogether it's an injury yeah. it's like having an injury and on that you know people are more likely to get injured when they're psychologically yeah, not sure. well Their they are more likely down. to yeah absolutely. So, so what about players they might have lots going on in their private lives they might have high levels of stress or anxiety or whatnot yeah. but is it is it possible for some players just to go on the pitch and perform that's they then switch into a different mode and go I'm now playing football because you hear about I think Paul Merson's been in the press a lot lately about him playing for years and years uh, serious gambling pro- problem there was a documentary made on him recently but 
you kind of always went on the pitch and did it for, for many, many years. I think people can perform and to a very high level. What I will always say is, though, I think they're still missing a next level of potential. So I think, yes, you might see people who can achieve and have worked with people who have achieved gold medal, Olympic gold medal, but their potential that they could have taken is still potentially Could have been two capped. or three gold medals. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So... Um, I do think there's always an impact. You can absolutely go onto the pitch and some people are able to, but more often than not, especially when I start hearing the real life experience of people, they'll be telling me I was playing and the ball was at my feet and I can't see, I've got ringing in my ears, you know, like anxiety is so through the roof. And you think, yes, they're performing, but internally they know they're not performing anywhere near their capacity because they can't see where they're passing the ball. You know, like it, the level of anxiety. At that point, is that anxiety? Is that nerves? What is that? That's anxiety. Is that anxiety? Yeah, you, is I there mean, a difference? There, so, again, wonderful question. The way that I frame this is between fear and anxiety. So fear and anxiety have the same physiological responses. So say somebody swerves in front of you on the motorway, heart's pounding, maybe you're sweating, maybe you're I go you're white sometimes, you know. Absolutely. I like do, bright white. Drains. Like if it's something, a close call in the car or something, Right, yeah, right. Absolutely right. So that's fear, right? Anxiety is exactly the same. So you'll have all those same symptoms. But the only difference is fear is about something outside of you. So some car nearly hit you or, or whatever it was. Anxiety is about I've got a feeling that's coming up inside of me that feels threatening, like that I'm, I can't cope with. So it might be in anticipation of... Um, a match I've, I've definitely again worked with players where even in their own team right there's frustrations as you will know that happen within the team and they don't know how to deal with that anger that's building up in their team how to communicate it effectively with their teammates so they're getting really anxious before a game it's nothing to do with the opposition and then of course you might have fear about the opposition about you know what yeah, you're, you're losing now, the battle or, before you've even started to think about who you're fighting against kind of thing that's yeah. that's crazy yeah but then obviously there are skills and ways that you can deal with this and and again it sounds counterintuitive when we're anxious we want to do things that distract us right people do something to move away from it the answer is actually often moving towards it, being able to lean into it, so paying attention to it. That brings it down, then you can go ahead and so, move so on. So with nervousness then, so if you've got a job interview, let's put it yeah. into yeah. football terms then. So if you're potentially a player, yeah. uh, it might be a young player and you've got a move to a big club and you're anxious about that deal going through or is it is it nerves because it's something good you want to happen it's a really good question because i think often people think when something positive happens they'll only feel one feeling like if some success is achieved they'll only feel happy and i've i worked with somebody um and it was a great story actually it was the first day i met them and um and i'm sure you've worked with again because uh, i'm hearing you're very open to psychology right you you loved the fact that yeah, you had sure, this yeah, yeah. but they came up to me in front of everybody and said hi you'll never see me again right that was their introduction <laughs> and I was like okay a couple of weeks later knock on my door we did some fantastic work together and they were in crisis when I, I saw them we continued to work together after that sort of crisis had passed and um but they and actually they went on to um completely separate to me talk about it in the media they wow. became an advocate for yeah. like this is why you should go and see psychologists but one of the things that they mentioned in that media article was when they won a particular trophy um which was a significant trophy they noticed that they felt sad 
right? So they felt happy. They'd actually been like, and they'd um, played an integral part in this. They also felt sad. And what they did was they went in, in the kind of changing rooms in the shower after, cried for, you know, a minute or two. And that was it. They were like, and then I could go on and enjoy the night. Yeah. I could go on and enjoy the celebrations with the rest of the team. I wasn't stuck in this feeling that I was trying to avoid and bury. I just let it go because it obviously brought up some mixed feelings. And that's what happens. We don't just feel one thing. We feel mixed feelings. But they didn't get stuck in it. And then they could go on and really enjoy it. So I think so often it's we think I shouldn't feel you know, I shouldn't feel this about achieving something great, but we do, right? That we're humans, we're complex. It brings up mixed uh, lots relief. of emotions. Yeah, yeah, I get a massive. If we if we win a game, it's kind of like you're buzzing, but it's a big old. Oh. So here's a question oh. for you then, Ben. I, I understand that when you're to big moments in your career, when you've moved to Man United, won the League Cup with Birmingham, when you felt these emotions, has it always been euphoria and relief, or has it entered your mind that, do you know what, there's a lot of um, variables that have come into this, my family support. Has it always been positive or has it ever been like, you know, you've been flooded with emotion where you felt reflective or? Um, I would say, honestly, this is, a, again, really good question because I think when when I was younger, I, I've, got, I've got this theory, right, that all, not all men, but a lot of men, especially in the sporting arena, their emotional it- intelligence is very low it is it's very low you don't you don't really understand or how to deal with stuff when it happens to you even in your mid-20s i would say honestly not until i was about 30 odd is when i could really start to sort of enjoy my football career because i remember like being a younger you you know this story yourself when i was at man united like i would literally go into every game and i'd be thinking don't mess up don't cock up don't make a mistake and i was going into every game thinking that right and that's literally the worst thing you can do if you're going into a game thinking that that's that's you're you're not going to do very well whatsoever so like i say luckily for me i've and this is after i've met psychologists and spoke to us but still i couldn't help but think this it was like the the, but you had that imposter syndrome at united didn't you sure for sure i did yeah i still kind of when i remember signing honestly suzanne and i remember thinking they're going to see me in training like this next week I'm and go, get found out. yeah, what yeah. have I done? They're going to be thinking, what have we done here? We've just spent a million quid on this guy. Like, look at the state of this kind of thing. But, uh, but, but you know, do you know that actually it's the high achievers? It's the people that actually, uh, they're the people that struggle with the imposter phenomenon the most, right? It's yeah, the people okay. that are really capable. Um, and it's this mismatch between what you're thinking inside, between what other people are saying, right? People are saying, we believe in you. We're going to give you a contract. And inside you're going, oh, don't mess it up. I don't know if I could do yeah, this. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then that pervasive fear of being found out, yeah. right? Like that's always watching over my shoulder. That's the worst feeling. Caught. If somebody yeah. comes up to you and says, you're just not cut out for this. Oh my God, that's the, yeah, cut my head off dead. I mean, it's that's horrible. Yeah. yeah. That is, sorry, what I was going to say there is, so so when I was younger, obviously, like I'd get these nerves, massive nerves. And I would honestly go into a lot of games thinking, shit, don't mess up. Just don't mess up. Don't look a dickhead. Because this is going to be on telly later, match of the day, Sky Sports, the internet, like everybody's going to see this. Like, don't mess up. And it wasn't until I was into my 30s, probably, probably, probably when I turned about 30, I started having kids and a family and all that kind of stuff you kind of your your mind switches a little bit to do you know what this football it's obviously really important but it's not the most important thing yeah. you've got a family you've got a wife you've got all this kind of stuff that is the most important thing so then i started to when i would get the nerves i would start to go oh this is like it nerves mean game time 
yeah. nerves mean game time. Like so when it. yeah, reframing it to I actually quite enjoy these nerves. So like now I'll go onto the pitch. Excitement. And I'll have nerves. I'll, I'll have yeah. butterflies. Honestly, I, I'll get. I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. Doesn't, lovely, that, yeah. doesn't that show that you care? Because um, we talked. Like, I know you're similar to me. So we'll talk to our, our kids about it and um, similar age to Ben. You know, 11, yeah. 12, 13. And my lad will go. He goes, I've got butterflies, and I'll go. That's good. Shows you care. So it's how you now react to this, okay? Yeah. But, you know, it's excitement. Yeah, some level of anxiety, some level of nerves is really important for good performance. Like, and you'll have seen this again if you think about the changing rooms, you'll notice that some people are really flat. Like, they need more energy in their system and they yeah. actually probably do need more nerves. And some people are over threshold and they're, like, too nervous. They're kind of... Bouncing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you do need some for any kind of healthy level of performance. And that's the thing where I was saying with anxiety... We all have anxiety, right? It's part of our survival. So if you didn't, I mean, it's just not possible to not have anxiety, right? It's just how we're designed. But it's about then the level in which, right? So actually keeping it at a healthy level, yeah. keeping it at a level that's not going to cripple your performance. And I love the fact that you're saying, you know, there's something about the broader perspective, isn't there, of having a family, have it, you know, where does this fall in the level of importance? And, and I think, I think there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sports fans out there, though, that don't, they don't buy that, like, putting it in that order. They don't yeah. understand that. They think football is the most important thing and then whatever else falls afterwards. And sometimes, like, I, I say in the, the Cycling GK vlog sometimes, don't I? Like, it is what it is. Like, we tried to win. I tried my best. I might have made a mistake. The team lost. But never mind. We'll be back next week. And some people really, it really, people. They, like get, it. they really yeah. pissed off at that, honestly. It's you like I'm just sacking your it best. off. It's as simple as that. Every yeah. time you go out, you try your best. It's as simple as that. I try my best, right? And it's not always going to work out for you. Like, I know I will make mistakes sometimes. But I'll say it to all the young lads. Like, do you know, so, so when you're on the training pitch, okay, like, it's called autopilot yeah I, I call it autopilot like I am just doing it because it comes natural to me I've done it for 20 years I know how to catch a ball and how to dive I know certain situations because I might have seen it before and I just do it because it yeah. comes naturally to me but then the problem you've got is that when you go on the pitch you then start to second guess every single thing that you have worked all week for yeah and then that's the bit that makes footballers and I see it in I'm not joking probably 99% of my teammates I see that self-doubt creep in yeah. closer it gets to a match day yeah. Friday in particular they're a bit quieter they get a bit more sort of insular yeah. they withdraw a little bit but that's because you trust your process don't you yeah because sure. autopilot comes yeah. from a process and yeah practice yeah, practice yeah. and yeah so you know that you do this is why I think people might get upset with what you do sometimes and if the outcome isn't what they want they might then question Ben's preparation because you shoot with the GoPro. They go, but is he committed enough? But you know yourself, you go, you train, your behaviours have been very similar for very, very many yeah, years. Sure, you, yeah. you eat well, you train, look after yourself. The rest will look after itself. Um, yeah, I was just, sorry, I was just saying about there, the way they get sort of more insular on a Saturday and Friday and stuff like that. So on a, on a Saturday, for example, just before the game, we have probably, we probably have about 45 minutes in the dressing room, okay? And... You see the lads with the big cans on their headphones and they will not even look up, honestly. And I, I don't personally like I know everybody has to do what they need to do to get themselves in a right ment mental state to be able to go out there and perform. But I personally think that you need to 
you, uh, it's very hard. You, I don't think you can just do it. I'm not. I don't mean it like that. I don't think you can just say to somebody take them off and do it because sure. it's not that easy. Like I think the pro people have to work on stuff to be able to yeah. do that kind of thing. But I would just love to see a few more people with them off, just interacting a bit more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I think for me, this is where you you do need the group process and your individual. So like I would be doing something match day minus one as a group, and I would be thinking as a group psychologically let's start talking through like what's going on what are people worried about what's uh, you know often gets talked about like what can you control what can't you control what can you influence some kind of process that you're all able to get on board with when you're thinking about the opposition or whatever it is where you are in terms of the um, tournament whatever it might be and then of course then you've got your individual practice and um, I think that is where you were talking about retreating and withdrawing earlier on right to what degree it's helpful because when I hear you talk, what I hear you, you know, when you get to that point where you're saying then the self-doubt starts coming in, it's often that we're either in the future, like if this goes badly, yeah, it's all over social media, ahead, yeah. or it's something about what's happened before. Like, do you remember when I missed that or I, I didn't do this? Is this what well. I'm saying about the training bit? You don't, you don't think about the next 10 minutes or the next hour or tomorrow. No, you're, you're thinking there. about just there yeah, and you're having present. a nice time yeah. and you're smiling and you're with your mates. And So when people have got their headphones on, Ben... Because um, one one thing we want to talk about was visualization, yeah. and I remember as a kid, obviously just playing amateur, whatever it was, but I always used to like listening to music and thinking about what was to come, visualizing it. And at the time, I didn't know what that was, yeah. but that was the process I used to go through. Is is that something you do, visualization? Because um, you hear as well the other. Sorry, just the other point is self talk when people say, "Do you hear the lads or do you? You've got this. Come on, we can do this." Yeah, I think um, I think maybe when I was younger, I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever really done visual visualization. I think to put it into sporting terms, okay? Do you remember David James, the goalkeeper? Yeah. So, so for the so for, he, he got absolutely ridiculed for it. Okay, so in a warm up to games, he would he would kind of go. He, he would almost be closing his eyes, and he would be sort of picturing catching the ball, and he would be doing it there, and he would do that, and then sometimes he'd have the ball in his hands, and he'd be sort of smelling it and all that kind of stuff. Is that what we're talking about when we say visualization? so I think it can be a couple of things so um like just to make it a little bit um not to complicate it too much we have something called mirror neurons in our brain when you watch a goalkeeper because you're a goalkeeper then right this will come more naturally to you and it will fire those neurons more it would fire our neurons because we'd be imagining doing the same behavior but you have actual experience the lived experience so if you were a ballet dancer and you watch somebody perform ballet those neurons are firing more. So we naturally always mirror and there's some level of, even if we're not aware of it, there's some kind of rehearsal that's happening. The more intentional rehearsal is probably what you're speaking to here, Tom, where you're saying, I'm actually sat down and I'm in intending to think about this from my... And I honestly think people are so different, people are so unique. What works for one person will not work for mm. another. What I always say is, are you willing to give it a go to then be able to discount it. If you just dismiss it straight away, I think that says more about then something else that's going on. Okay. If you give it a go and you go, do you know what, that's not worked for me. So yeah, like him being able to visualise and often it will be in two ways. Bird's eye view, so you imagining you in a game, but being able to oh, see really? the pitch, yeah. okay. being able to see the crowd and that visualisation running through what they would almost be seeing and then in your body, right? Like how would that feel if I make this save, if I dive here? And then refining that and honing that. So as a practice, as a process, we will go through kind of three phases. And again, this is 
this takes a couple of minutes. I'm not talking an hour or yeah. it's imagining it from a bird's eye point of view and then now imagine it from your point of view and then refining it even more, even more vivid and then done, right, you're done. And again, it depends. If you're practicing that four times a day versus somebody that practices it once a day, we actually did do studies. We followed up because I think you do need data sometimes to see like who's benefiting from this and who's not. The people that were actually doing the practices were performing way better in terms of their own, if we just stick with them, their own performance from last season. So we could then start to say, well, this is working, right? When you do this, it's working. But I do think it's unique. Not everybody's Yeah, gonna- this is what I know this is kind of a sports podcast. I think obviously everything we're talking about can be used in the sort of, you know, I mean, socially, it can be used everywhere. Yeah. Um, but if, we, if we're just talking about sports, this is why... I think it's so important for some of the younger players coming through now. They're, they're, they're almost sort of thrust into the limelight where they're, they've got millions of like followers on all these social media channels. They know for a fact they're going to be the main story in the newspaper, all this kind of stuff. Um, there, there has to be something in place because football clubs just genuinely don't... Re- There's not many, is there, up and down the country no. in the Premier League. You're talking about the Premier League here, the best league in the world. Yeah. And for me... The mental side of football, as opposed to the, the physical, is is at least fifty fifty. So, do you think we're behind versus football's behind versus other sports? Um, I don't know because I'm not really sure how much psychology goes on in other sports and that whether it's sort of hands on and whether they're in okay. in the building and all that kind of stuff. All I can say is from my my perspective, from being in football clubs, there's only ever been one football club that have had a a psychologist, a, uh, somebody he didn't, he, he wouldn't like to be called a psychologist, but whatever he would be on site, and that was Watford, and this was what sixteen years ago, sixteen years ago, and since then we haven't, ha- I haven't been at a club where there's been an on-site psychologist. Was that under Aidy Boothroyd? Aidy Boothroyd, this was, yeah, Aidy Boothroyd, and it was absolutely brilliant. And don't get me wrong, we would have like a one session per week where he would get the whole team and it would be an hour long and yeah. everybody hated it. <laughs> they yeah, did. It's a real... They hated it. It was like, oh, God's sake, we've got to do this and sit through this for an hour kind of thing. But then that would go back to the sort of the ego and... Sorry, I'm, I'm definitely going no, off no, on tangents no, on. again. But What this, do you think it was about? Uh, so I think the reason why they wouldn't didn't want to do it, and I'd have times where I didn't want to do it, because it was the ego. I, it was like, no, I know better than this anyway. I can do this without all this kind of stuff. But then yeah. that was only because I didn't want to admit all that other stuff. So this yeah. is when, when I said to you earlier about um, emotional intelligence of footballers. I honestly think that probably men in general don't really get emotional intelligence until their late 20s their late 20s they fly off the handle and it's actually really funny to look at position specific as well so strikers for me have the biggest ego okay they do i've seen it for sure they definitely do midfielders still a bit defenders a little bit more reserved and then goalkeepers they're a mixed bag of anything (laughs) anything (laughs) anything goes whatever yeah but you just see them fly off the handle and you just think what are you doing like calm down so impulsive like they just don't know there's nothing else they can do other than just just throw their toys out it comes to different people at different times though because when you say i think it comes to to men in particular at a certain point I disagree. I yeah. think it comes to different people at different times. And yeah. it might not come to some people. When you said it, I had children and then I kind of almost thought, you know what, this isn't the most important thing. I don't think that's the same for everyone. Yeah, true. I think yeah. it, it kind of might dawn on somebody a bit younger or might never Something at all. might happen. They might suffer adversity or it might yeah, could be anything could, really. Yeah, sure. I think people like to, 
or perhaps don't appreciate just how important it is that what's happened to us when we were early has affected us now yeah. like we've got this idea of like I'm me as an adult now and yeah I was I was a teenager once and I was a kid once but none of that's important now but it is it's part of our blueprint of our psychology so I think it really is so dependent on your experiences that you've had if you've had somebody providing you with a vocabulary right being able to say like this is what it looks like that's going on is that right or if nobody's doing that and let's face it we aren't taught this in school this happens like so early on nobody's having it's starting to change but it's not really it's the same with sport right it's starting to change you've got Tottenham with the performance and mental health position that they've you know recently launched you've got Brighton that has a really good psychology program but I'm in agreement with you it's not that's not the majority right this is the minority we're looking at that across the board in terms of society we need to start doing more psychologically and and it was interesting you said you see it at least as 50 50 right like for you it's just as important as your physical health it it makes up half of your performance Mm -hmm. is what you're saying yeah it's like it's another attribute it's another so if you had to if you had to build like the perfect sports person okay for example like left foot like out of a hundred you know what i mean sort of like right foot heading speed like acceleration the mental part of it would be fill almost like, but then you can break down the mental parts toward it, dealing with pressure at big moments. Somebody yes. might charge him down. Does he remain calm? Does he, is he got his head up? Because yeah. that, that's all that's mental. All composure, that's all it? composure. Yeah. So like I say, composure is another element of the mental bit. Yeah. But I reckon that mental tab would have just as many components to it as what the physical tab would have yeah. to it. Well, and we if, need more people like you talking about It's true about though. This, it's right? true. It is. So, it's completely true. But yeah. they, footballers just don't like to make a thing of it it's yeah. like it's still so taboo it's ridiculous yeah. so when you back in the day at Watford under A.D. Boothroyd and you had somebody come in and talk a psychologist and you were kind of like mm, and a lot of the lads were like can take it or leave her what about motivational talks because they're linked I presume and would the lads treat that differently because I, I remember some reason or I remember the story sticking with me when you had not a footballer I think it was Sean Fitzpatrick wasn't it the yeah, all, all yeah, black did, yeah, yeah. came That's in it, yeah. and this was 15 16 years ago yeah. and I remember you saying you were just this guy how he talked you were blown away yeah I yeah. think the beauty of people that can do stuff like that is because they're kind of well known they've got you've got you've already I've already built a picture up of who this guy is mm-hmm. so it's kind of relative to me and I can understand it a bit easier and I think that's what you need whoever I don't think any so uh, take this the right way please but you might not be the best psychologist for a certain person just because of how you are able to get on with that person you might not have the rapport that somebody else might be able to strike up with that person Um, and I think you can have somebody come in and do that, but it's not going to apply to everybody in the same way as certain people might apply so to people. So with a motivational speaker then, surely a, a large part of that is psychologically based or because it's not just go and get them today, lads, and banging on the dressing room doors anymore. It's about team talks now seem to be, from what I gather, a lot more methodical and, and a lot more strategy. And surely they're linked, Suzanne. Yeah, I think, you know, if you've got somebody that is aware of their psychology as a coach and they're going in and giving a a talk not necessarily bringing a speaker in for motivate it sounds like you had a speaker brought in right but um as a coach you've got so many um so many duties to contend with right the team dynamics the dressing room picking uh, like selection delivering the bad news the kind of motivational talks beforehand so how can you not need 
a space to be able to reflect upon that and to to think about that and I am in 100% agreement with you that um, for me it's about who has the best relationship because we know this in therapy too the number one important factor of whether it's going to be a success or not is on the alliance which is the relationship so actually you could have an outstanding psychologist and they do not gel with this person this person is not gelling with them they are not going to have an impact. Mm. So it, it, the number one thing for me when I say to people in, in order to help them find a psychologist or, you know, they say, right, I want to do therapy. What do I need to? That's the number one thing you need to be looking at in terms of the relationship with the person. Uh, can, I, can I jump in quickly? Well, I don't know how far we're into this at the minute, but I told you this was going to be, hour. I told you yeah. this was going to be one of the most interesting. And I hope everybody listening or watching on YouTube or on Spotify are enjoying it because I uh, this is Balton. We, we're going to go for a, yeah. a, a lot longer yet. Don't worry about that. Okay, so what is it then yeah. that you think sport in general just won't get on board with psych? What is it about psychology that sport just won't sort of adopt yet? Yeah. I th- again it's a great question and it's it's a, I think there's a lot of different factors here it's never just one thing is it um there is so much pressure in terms of results and the quick wins and so we've already started talking about you know investing in psychologists and what does that look like I think there's just really a huge taboo and a misunderstanding of what psychology is and psychologists haven't always been great at resolving that like I think we can't just put it on a system we can say actually we're responsible for this in some ways you know I I, you can't measure it Jermaine no I mean that like I think for a long time people were brought in as a psychologist to fix what's going wrong and actually that's not how psychology works ideally you know it's embedded in the culture from the start yeah and you're working with as you were just saying about the relationship I might work with the coach and they will then go and run this workshop. I could have delivered the workshop, but actually they've got the relationship and they know their players so much better, right? They're, they're working with them yeah. day in, day out. Um, so I think there's also this idea about like, um, I think there can be a concern. I've also worked in different sports where the coaches have felt their own personal beliefs have meant that they've made it very difficult for me to then access players yeah. and other members old so, school you mean yeah, so yeah. barriers so, then really. there is yeah barriers. i see it, i see yeah. it like even in football now you'll have the old school coaches like and they'll they'll be like you don't need any of that shit just sort of suck it up and get on with it kind of yeah. thing and it is and you see it all the, the thing, time you know, people um watch what we do not just what we say so if as a coach you are openly and um, you know accepting and embracing the psychologist that has such a massive profound effect on the rest of your team if you are disparaging derogatory uh and you know i've also had you know and this is really true i've had coaches who um to the group would make it very difficult and then privately when i've gone to leave an organization say so can we work together now right and and so there's this real internal barrier for them about what it means to be a psychologist i think i don't i think it can be fear i think you know coaches hold a lot and they are expected to hold a lot and I think they can be fearful about opening up and sharing that information. But again, this is where, you know, it is confidential. And and that I think there's a lot of dynamics that go on with stakeholders and yeah, technical sure. directors and, you know, but there's so much that coaches get from being able to sit and work with us. Have you ever, have you ever got to the point where you've had to pull a coach aside and said, basically, stop being a prick, would you? No, I've never <laughs> Let me do my work, all right, and stop no. putting me down. Uh, no, I've never, I've had to address, like, 
it seems like you keep cancelling our appointments. Is there something going on mm-hmm. here? And again, I think now that speaks to, you know, I was talking about the accumulation. Like when we don't know how to deal with something, when we don't know how to address something, we avoid, right? We escape. We just we just try to avoid it. And so for me, it's always much cleaner to kind of just be able to address it and say, yeah. what's going on here? Or it seems like you've got some mixed feelings or can we look at that? Um and obviously some people will, some people won't, but that is my approach. I'm very upfront about that. So when a when you go into a building at a sports organisation, let's use a football club, obviously, when people find out what you do, yeah. do they try and change their behaviour to almost a psychologist, let me just put on a bit of a front here or let me behave a certain way so I'm kind of together or... Yeah, I mean, again, it is the general public will hear you're a psychologist and go, I'm not going to say anything or, you know, I, I actually went to look for a new car the, recently and then he asked what I did and we'd already been like working, to, you know, like talking for about half an hour and he was like, oh, okay, like I shouldn't say anything more. Like, you know, we're not mind readers. I can promise <laughs> you we're not mind readers. It feels that way um, sometimes. I know, I know. But I think that's the other thing. Like I only, um, like earlier on when we were talking about... Um, of course, like I have done training and I'm really interested in human behavior. So there's a lot in terms of body language and all of that that you can read. But I have a really, again, like internal ethical belief that I don't work with somebody unless I've got the permission to work with them. So I'm not going to be sat there analyzing somebody because they've not given me the permission. Must come to naturally work. to you though. Not to, an- like, as in to intervene in a way that you would as a psychologist. Yeah. Like, of course, I'm going to have judgments because I'm human and I don't think that. The goal is not to get rid of your judgments, right? That's it's it's often to take a moment and go, what's that telling me about me? Okay, like, what yeah, am I expecting yeah, yeah. here in this relationship? But uh, of course, I'm human. I have judgments and I have thoughts and I have training, so that helps me to think about certain things. But I don't have the permission to work with people, and I think, you know, if you don't get that permission, this is where it can get really tricky, and people feel intruded upon, and they should do, right? It's like. You wouldn't do that in any other area of the world. You wouldn't just go in and start telling somebody. It's going to get your back up, right? If Unless you've asked for feedback, you don't want people uh, to get How it, mad so. is it, though, thinking, right? So, so, so you're the psychologist. Then say you're working with somebody, you just think, oh, you must have had it. You just think, I just don't like you. I really don't like you. But imagine, like, you've got to. You're the psychologist. So you've surely got to process that into your head and say, what is it I don't like? Why am I thinking I don't like this Absolutely. person? And I have to keep it on a level... Uh, like I have to still go off the hymn sheet and do it all in the right way. Well, I think that's a beautiful point because this is such a taboo in psychology, right? And I've just been recently talking with a group of psychologists about this and saying it's really important that we talk about the people we really like <laughs> and the people we don't like, right? That's telling us something. And more often than not, it's not the person. In my experience, it's what they're doing in the relationship. Yeah, so okay. let's say I'm here to help you and you're putting up so many barriers And I've said this to players, like, you can keep the wall, that's fine, but I'll be useless. So what's going on that you want to sabotage this already? Like, is that a part of you? Do you sabotage things? And they'll be like, oh, actually, I see a pattern here, right? Because we are excellent at sabotaging ourselves, right? Mm. But um, it's never the person that you don't like. It's often what they're doing. Their traits. Yeah, it's making it difficult to connect. Because we want to connect, right? We're humans, so... Very it's, not, interesting. it's not them, it's what they're doing often as a protection mechanism. So when you talk about body language yeah. and you said about, you know, giving people access. So Ben, a question for you. Body language in sport, we're talking about internally within a team and what making yourself better. Let's look at the opposition now. 
Ben, without giving away the tricks of your trade, because you're still currently playing, are there any techniques that you've used over the year, body language, mental games against opposition? Uh, not that I've, I wouldn't say I'd necessarily use them against them, but it's, it's always, I've always found it very interesting to try and notice what they are and try and sort of decipher it sort of thing. So, so I've got a couple of stories. So say it was the, um, it was a Birmingham city Carling cup final against the Arsenal. Okay. So the, the game is about to start. We've, we're in the, we're in the sort of, we're in our changing rooms still basically, right. but what they do at Wembley is they used to open up the doors of the two changing rooms that are literally looking at each other. Right. And so Arsenal were over there we were here and we were lined up and we were looking straight at them. Okay. And, um, I'm getting goosebumps. It's ledge. I love it. Um, so it's yeah, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. Um, so we're, we're looking at the Arsenal. They both open up at the same time. So we both get to see each other at the same time. And the we, gladiators. Yeah, see it's a bit other. like that. It's a bit like that. It's awesome. And, um, Stephen Carr was our captain and he was brilliant. Stephen, honestly, he's like a leader of men. I would have followed him anyway. He was incredible. And he wow. spoke so well and he got everybody going. Yeah. And um, the doors opened up and straight away he just went off on one. I'm getting mad goosebumps. And he's gone, um, he's gone, he's doing all the usual boys. Uh, and then he's gone, right, lads. And everybody just shut up, eerie silence kind of thing. He said, look at that change. And we all looked and it's all these Arsenal megastars. You've got Van Persie, you've got all these boys there. They're in their kind pump then, weren't they? They're in their pump. They're doing really well. Yeah. But they kind of looked like kids, like boys, like, do you know what I mean? A bit sort of, you know what I mean? And he said, look, you see them, them boys, they might have a lot of talent. They might have a lot of talent, but they haven't got what we've got in this dressing room. And as you said it, honestly, every I'm one of us, I'm, I'm mad, go my eyes are watering. <laughs> like he said it and the roar, oh my God, honestly, the roar from mm. our starting 11, everybody behind it, the whole team, the physios, the masseurs, everybody. Yeah just jumped up Rawr! and every one of us just like adrenaline levels went through the roof honestly yeah. and I remember it like to this day exactly every single word he said it was absolutely incredible and it's funny actually because the there's a masseur that works for Watford now Kieran he's he's one of my best mates and he actually was the masseur for Arsenal on that oh, day so we used to work for really? Arsenal yeah, yeah it's a brilliant brilliant story and it, it, we, we need to get on the podcast one time because yeah. he tells the story in reverse. He tells the opposite side of the story, okay? Oh, I bet that's good. It's so good, honestly. Yeah. It's so, so good. So his version, obviously, is the doors open and you were like a bunch of animals. Yeah. Like, honestly, You're this... Wild. Yeah, yeah, wild. Yeah, wild. He yeah. said, you were like a bunch of animals. He said, you were jumping around, the noise. And he said, and we kind of like looked at each other as if to say like, Phew, like almost laugh it off. He said, but everybody almost did it and then straight away almost just went, shit, right? Nope. Yeah. Like nobody could like he said none of them could look at each other everybody was just a bit like oh shit and then we went out we won the game 2-1 like we were mad underdogs I think we were 16 to 1 to win the game um, but yeah it's I, I that sorry we're going back to the question of body language that for me was watching them I could see I can still see the door open and see them and it was the way that they kind of tried to laugh it off yeah tried but to then dismiss it they, but... then within literally half a second of looking at each other they couldn't keep it up and i was thinking oh shit all right like yeah we, one might, nil. we might have a chance here we might yeah one nil before the game's even started um but it's interesting you asked that question there because um i did actually just read in the press the other day so the new manchester united manager so there's been a lot made at the minute of manchester united they're, they're playing a bit poorly and all this kind of stuff but one of the big things that they've been talking about a lot is their body language the player's body language mm -hmm. um 
And Ralph Ranyuk apparently has gotten in a psychologist specifically to improve the player's body language. Second appointment, wasn't On, it? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So is that, in your opinion, a, a, a big thing? To, is he going to be there just solely for the for the body language? Is he going to be there on campus to try and help the, the players mentally or all that I mean, kind of stuff? I don't obviously know the psychologist and I don't know what the um, strategy is. I would doubt it would be just body language. Body, yeah. Like I, I would imagine there would be more to it than that. But again, body language is an interesting thing, right? Because again, it's conscious and unconscious. You're consciously aware of some things like how you're holding the bottle right now, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but in other ways, we do things that are really unconscious and they're tells. They, they give away information. And so at times, obviously, again, if you're not aware of that, you need somebody to reflect that back to yeah, you sure. if you want to change it. So I imagine with the psychologist going in to look at what's going on. But it's interesting, even that idea of you, you guys in the changing rooms, you know, earlier on I said about some teams that go flat. Like there was something about your energy and, you know, that vitality in you. And all of a sudden there's this flatness in them. And it's like the, their energy is drained. Yeah. And, and then you've gone out and you've taken that out onto the pitch. And the other thing it makes me think about is team cohesion. Because it sounded like, and again, this has been my experience working in sport. I, you all know much better than me here. It's a family. Like yeah. it becomes, and I don't mean that in a, you know, families are functional and dysfunctional we all have our own <laughs> every <yes>. family um <laughs> but it's you spend so much of your life with these people probably more than with your family yeah and you, you are away um traveling you are missing really significant events or you're experiencing significant like your birthday there with them valentine's day you're there yeah. training all of that sort of stuff it's about the team cohesion too so that culture that's like created in there is so important. You, you said something really interesting earlier, actually, was um, it said, so you, you you spoke about the fact that we only ever prepare for the worst. So with psychology and all that kind of stuff, with the coaching, with like the, the way football works and stuff, yeah. you don't, but you don't ever prepare for being two or three nil up. Yeah. Okay, you don't. So this leads me on to my next, my next point is, um, Jose Mourinho has been very sort of vocal in the last week or so, especially since they they, they had a, I think it's the local derby against Juventus. They were, I think, two or three nil up. They ended up losing the game 4-3. Um, and he came straight out afterwards to say, basically the first thing he said was, my team is not mentally strong enough to, to hold on to that lead. My team is not mentally strong enough. And I've looked into it a little bit and he's actually got a little bit of a sort of a checkered past really. So track record. Yeah, it. track yeah, record. Yeah. So it is past clubs. So Tottenham, Manchester United, uh, Chelsea, he's done exactly the same thing. He's coming out after games and he's questioning the, the mental strength, the resilience of the players. What sort of, that, that can't have a good effect on the players because they read, the everybody reads everything they do. They read Twitter, they read Instagram, they read the comments. We'll go into that in a minute, actually, because I think yeah. that's a massive thing to talk about. But that can't be a good thing for Jose Mourinho to be coming out and saying this after games. Yeah, I think, again, it's so, it's so unique to each player, isn't it? Because some players I've heard from, they'll say, I look over, I see the manager and they're not doing anything on the sideline. I need more energy from them. I need more feedback. Other people will say complete distraction like or that feels yeah, like an attacking sure, comment yeah. and yeah and then you've you've ruptured something for me it's we have in our relationships particularly if you think about coach and, and player coach athlete 
there will be lots of ruptures. There'll be lots because if you're actually you know doing it properly, if you're really showing up and you're being, it real, happens a lot more than people think. Honestly, yeah, a lot more. It's probably it's actually the norm. I'd say it is. It is right. Uh, but the key bit is how you repair it, right? How you're able to go back to one another and say, yeah, look, uh, or how you know to be able to ask your changing room like what's going on like the you know I know we've talked or at least one of the kind of questions was about losing the changing room and what happens and I think that does happen right I've seen it happen but it's then the coaches or the players willingness to address it and to have the honest conversation to really communicate it and say when you do this this is how it affects me or, you know, when you're going out and saying that we've lost it and we, we, we're not mentally strong enough, this is the impact it's having. Again, this is part of the problem, though, that you were saying earlier. You only ever get to do this once it's gone to pot, don't you? So yeah, you only ever proactively. you only ever go and address something, especially in sport. Well, not especially in sport. That's a rubbish thing to say. But you will only ever go and do something about it when you're in the threat of relegation. You're losing. You're on a bad streak or something yeah. like that, which is... And, and the thing about, you know, not preparing for going up, the reason I said that is because actually that is really, if you look at, again, if you watch certain, the, the matches that I'm thinking of that I've watched, there's this really like fragile period after you've scored in that. Oh, so when you minutes, go two or three nil up, you mean? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're then more likely to concede, right? Because people lose their head when they've scored two. It's right? like it's a relief just, thing though. It's a, re- yeah, it's <sighs> a switch off. Yeah. Switch off vulnerable. Yeah. Right? yeah. So uh, very, very this is one thing I've, we've touched on in the past, but really interesting question for you, Ben. Uh, and Suzanne, I'm sure you'll have input here. So Wigan won the FA Cup final a few years ago and got relegated. Is that right? Yep. When you won the League Cup with Birmingham, you got relegated. And when we were preparing for the podcast, I, I read a little bit about this gold medal syndrome and not yeah. preparing for the win. So you were not expected to win that cup no. final against Arsenal no. and you got relegated. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, Ben. This is brilliant, honestly. Uh, what a question. Well done, Tom. You're oh, like the thanks, mate. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, so that's a really good question because I remember winning the game, right? And I, I I, can't put an exact time on it or whatever, but I remember for, for quite honestly, for weeks afterwards, I was so drained emotionally, mentally, physically, like everything was just drained out of me and every other player as well. We were so, like we were on our knees, honestly. So we, I think we went on some crazy run. So the, the cup finals in early March, is it, or late yeah, February? Yeah. And literally after that, we had a, a probably an eight or nine or 10 game period where we just lost every game. We did, right, we okay. just lost every game because we were just gone. Yeah. We were absolutely gone. The euphoria of winning this trophy against all odds at Wembley, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Against Arsenal. And then afterwards we, we were shot to pieces. And that's the reason, honestly, that is the reason we got relegated. And we had a very good team. We did literally virtually every player in that Birmingham team went and got a move to like a Premier League team because they were good players. But that again is where the brain and the body just took over and was just, no, we can't carry this on. Yeah. And people don't, I think, appreciate the importance of the reset and recharge in like a performance cycle. So you've done probably loads of prep, right, in the build up to having to compete and, you know, win this title. And then afterwards, where's, the, you know, it, the psychology doesn't stop. You do need processes for resetting and recharging before yeah. going back into review and I think not enough of that is given attention and people will talk about it across sports you know they'll win Olympic titles and then they retreat for two days in their hotel room and don't come out like but it's four it, years Suzanne sorry to interrupt it's four yeah. years so imagine the process for you Ben you finish the season you start again in three months 
yeah. you finish an Olympic cycle, four years. To the I next think one. they're both difficult in different ways, right? Like the the amount of people that play football that I will hear that you know, like they've not had a break consistently if they're playing yeah. in different tournaments internationally, different. They're not. It's so fatiguing that if you don't have proper emotional fitness practices in place for the reset and the recharge you hit burnout like it's a boom or bust and I, I appreciate with Olympics four years as a massive build-up and then yes you drop off the cliff but I think it's it's similar in the same way that you still need a process you still need something to be able to um, go to like you've appreciated your processes that aren't just about sport now they've come into your life you still need something to go to to prepare you for after that so do you think so do you think so for the end take at the end of the season for example yeah. um when the season finishes do you think then it's a, a the perfect opportunity if possible to go on holiday for example and i mean switch off yeah. completely switch off yeah. don't watch football don't think about football don't do go, don't stay out the gym for a week or something yeah. is but that what you it, i i do but i think and and actually a lot of people said to me during covid although it's really difficult some people said it was the best time of their yeah. life honestly the i had the best players. honestly covid for, i'm not joking i loved every second of yeah. it when i got that first difficult period out of the way where I was a bit poorly a bit ill struggling with everything just the whole new and again sorry going back to that no structure no no like framework of doing stuff yeah. do you know what I mean like yeah you've always the, got to be somewhere yeah, always the kids yeah. were off we were off there was nothing chaos. nothing was in place it was complete <laughs> chaos. chaos and then yeah. it took us a, probably two three weeks of going right let's actually just set a timetable out of stuff we're going yeah, to yeah. do and try and stick to it, yeah? yeah? And then once we had done that and it got into place, everything then, it was like, oh, okay, we've got something to, yeah, yeah. we was, should be I'll doing this now. now. mate, honestly, I think that was some of the best memories of my life and the worst because there were yeah. things we did, like as a family, little things, we did two nights a week, we did the Marvel movie franchise yeah. and it was like, do you know what? It yeah, was it was brilliant, wasn't and it? it? And I look back and go, ah, oh, and it was like, we just enjoyed that so much. And then yeah. you look at, kids at school and yeah. you're working and that was so stressful and the yeah. arguments in the house and i would challenge anyone to say that they were unavoidable yeah. i think they were unavoidable those arguments yeah they were yeah and it's really quite you know the best and the worst isn't it it's not yeah. like you tend to get one without the other and i think you're speaking to traditions and rituals so we found our own rituals we found our own structure but giving yourself the permission to just go god okay this is new right nobody's ever had to deal with this yeah. and I think that's it we don't give ourselves permission enough often um or like you say you know you're regimented so there's this sense of actually you just have to turn up and you just have to do what you're being told so where is then the the self-choice there where is the yeah. you know a lot of the times when I've worked with people and they will start off by saying as if like I'm going to tell them what to do and I say what's the problem you're having that you want my help with uh, and that's just mind-blowing to them because I'm all of a sudden saying, well, you're your own person. How is it I can be of help to you? Yeah. I'm not here to tell you what you need to change. But all of a sudden you've got choice and you, you don't you have can still, You can still, uh, even though like, so let's take, take a footballer, for example. Um, we, we get told where to be at what time. Mm. But you can still take ownership of yes. whilst you're there. Absolutely. So I see a lot of footballers, I do, Suzanne, who will come in and they are literally just sitting around waiting to be told what time to start activation yeah. or what time they're going to be going yeah. out for training. 
they won't take it upon themselves to go and do rehab. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah, do some more prehab, like go in a bit earlier, work on something else, work on another sort of part of the. So you can still, regardless of what industry you're in or sport or whatever, you can still have ownership of everything. I like to think like I'm a business at times. Like I'll go in and I'll do a bit more bike session or a bit more strengthening of this and this because it will help me football but and the bike as well for sure um but that you you still have to have a bit of ownership of everything you do right yeah i think it's so important for you to be invested in it yeah like you're not just a pawn you're not a commodity and getting pushed and pulled yeah you are actually you're invested and it's meaningful to you right and and it is essential then to have those people that you can see because like i said we we copy what we see Mm. we don't always copy what we're told to do yeah but also as a human right we don't like to be told what to do surprisingly you know actually that leads to one of two things people comply and they go along with it and at some point they defy and they you know they vote with their feet or they don't stick to the training program they don't stick to the healthy eating they don't because they're looking for some way to express themselves because they don't feel like they have ownership so leads us on to the next question i guess which is winning mentality so you don't play 18 to 20 years in the Premier League without doing the, the, the basics and doing above and beyond as well. So with that in mind, it's not just about match day. And I'd, I'd like to talk about your opinion, both of your opinion on a winning mentality and, and what makes that. Okay, so yeah, I've, I've, I come from, so I've got two brothers and a sister, okay, so I, our household was very competitive. It yeah, just was. I'm one of four too. Yeah, so I can very competitive. Yeah. I was the youngest as well. So I was okay. always kind of like, yearning to be up there with my brothers and stuff yeah. like that um so no matter what it was when we were kids it could be anything mario kart tiddlywinks the matter it was the end of the world if you lost it was genuinely the end of the world right and i honestly think that's probably the biggest the the not the main reason but the biggest driver of me being a professional sports person is because i'm so pathetically competitive it's a joke right honestly it is an absolute joke i make a competition out of everything in training every single day it will be we'll go out for goalkeeping and i will make sure i have got the cleanest hands so we'll do a set of volleys and i'll be watching the the other goalies you drop one you're losing one nil you're losing two nil i'm winning i'm and i'll do it with everything yeah and i make sure but I honestly think that is, it, I've made it so ingrained in me that that is the bit where I, I don't get me wrong, I buzz off winning. I do. But I know in a team sport, you can only do so much. Sometimes the team won't win. And I've, like, again, I've got very good as I've got older of just going, it kind of is what it is. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't win everything all the time. But as long as you know you've done all you can do, that's all you can ask, right? Yeah. Well, these are really important traits of people that are, as we would think about it, great leaders, right? Actually, that people who are have this passion for what they do, but they are forever wanting to get better. And when you talk about competition, part of that is integral to that. And that's why I think, you know, there can be destructive competition, which is really unhealthy and actually cripples a team and it breaks apart a team. And then there's the healthy competition. And if you can foster that in the way that you're doing, you're almost competing mentally against, right, yeah. you're, you're the goalies or... You might, is that a healthy thing to do? It's a healthy thing to yeah? do, absolutely. Okay. As long as it's not tipping over into the point where you are finding it actually is a hindrance, right? Okay. And it doesn't sound like it yeah. does, but, you know, for other people it might be. They might say, you know, we might think about more of a perfectionistic trait where they absolutely cannot 
uh, lose, right? And yeah. then it, because like you said, that's unrealistic, exactly. right? So we're not setting ourselves up for failure, but these ways of competing against ourselves or our teammates are really a healthy thing to nice, do. And it sounds okay. like, and again, there's a lot to be said for, you know, your early experiences there with your brothers, yeah, sister, yeah, yeah. that's fostered that, that's, you know, um, cultivated that in you. And then to be able to take that and cultivate that in a team is great. And that's, that's I think, where you know, again, across sports, you've got your your Michael Jordan and your Scotty Pippen. Like yeah, they yeah, need yeah. each other, right? They they are going to then make each other better. So you do want that. That's a healthy thing. I've worked with people that will say we don't want any conflict, and I say no. Like you're you're missing a trick if you do that. It's how to actually keep it where it is healthy and it's not going into destructive competition. Yeah, we had um, Aaron Ramsdale on last week, the Arsenal goalkeeper, yeah. and he. It was so. It was. I was listening to him, and I was thinking, I do that. I do that. I yeah. do that. And he he was saying the same sort of thing. Like he, it's weird because I there's there's a thing in goalkeeping where the kind of the first choice goalkeeper will go first and sort of set the standard almost. So if it's right. a set of volleys, the first choice goalie goes first, second choice goes second, and I'm I'm a big believer in that. I like to go first and I like to set the standard what and show ritual? exactly. Yeah. yeah, I like to show people like look that's. Like, because normally that, well, not normally, like every time now, they're all younger than me. So, like, all the other goalies are like, they're even much the younger. Yeah, younger than even you. the goalie coach, yeah. So, I like, I like to go, right, right, that's that. And I'm the oldest one here, okay? I'm 38 years old. You cannot fall short of that. All right. Yeah, and I like, yeah, I like yeah. to set a bar for them. And Aaron was sat there and he was saying, I don't care about the order. I'll, I'll, I'll go last, I don't care. I'll go third, I don't care. He says, but I will make sure that I have the best hands. I will have the best hands. And yeah. I'm just thinking, that's class. This kid's 23 years old, by the way. It'd be wicked if you could sit and have a conversation yeah. with him because he has got his head screwed on like you wouldn't believe, hasn't he, Tom? He's got his priorities in the right order. He has the best outlook on, on life I've seen from a young footballer. Honestly, it was so good, to so refreshing, wasn't it? Yeah. Massively, yeah. massively. But um, can I just say on that point, like it would be interesting to hear about the um, other goalies in both of your respective teams then to find out, like for them, do they like that you go first and yeah. set the bar? I haven't thought about that. Where, I never thought about like, that. Like actually in his uh, team, would they prefer it if he went early and now they've got something to compete against? Okay. Or actually, I don't know what Aaron's going to pull out the bag here, so I've got to bring my A game because who knows what, like, it'd be interesting just to see. That would see. be really interesting think, to see. Do you think you're a leader, Ben? I think I can be a bit too harsh sometimes with the other goalkeepers. Not necessarily with outfield players. I think I have this ingrained belief in my head that the goalkeepers are a little bit mentally stronger than the outfield players. Mm -hmm. I really do, because we spend so much more time in our own head by ourselves. Yeah. It so, is a unique position. Yeah, it's a experience. very unique yeah. position. So what, what makes a good leader for you, for you, like captain-wise, and what makes a good leader for you, in your opinion? I, I think empathy. In For me, empathy is the biggest, the biggest part of being a leader. You have to be able to judge every single situation differently and be able to talk and communicate with that person after something might have just kicked off happened, but you need to know how to deal with it that's going to apply to them in the best way possible. Depends what you're leading though as well. If you're leading a group of a squad of 30, 30 men or 30 yeah, women, sure, yeah. or, you know, it's very different, isn't it? If you're like, look at us, we're a team of four or if you're running a business which has got 200 employees. Yeah. But same question to you, Suzanne. What, what makes a good leader to you? So... I agree with you. Empathy is, and it, this is where I think it gets a bad rap, right? We talk about it as a soft skill, 
empathy really we talk about people skills as soft skills and yet they're what go on to be the most successful people the people who have mastered that i think they've got these really contradictory qualities so i think they're confident but they're humble like they can like we were talking about earlier on they are not just open to feedback they seek out feedback so they don't just you know they're not just curious about okay uh, if somebody comes to me with feedback they are hungry to know they, they've got that thirst to be better like they and they are realistic you know you were talking about earlier on about the wins and the losses and they don't get stuck in the loss to the point where it then affects the rest of their season or the rest of their week so they're able to use the feedback in a way that is effective and then move forward with it mm. um but i yeah i just they're engaging i think you can go to them i think um they are systematic, right? They've got like a plan. Or if you think about whether it's as a footballer or the coach, they've got a methodology, but they can be flexible. Yeah. Like they're not, it's when we get rigid that actually things get broken because mm. we, we can't bend. There's no set flex. rule for what is a good leader then basically. It's, so, you've got to have a bit of all sorts. Yeah, it's like, it's this mixed bag of things, but it's, uh, but you're not chaotic, right? People feel there's a consistency, but you are flexible. You're not yeah. going to, you know, you're not going to my way or the highway. You are willing to do that empathy piece, which is, okay, if I put myself in your shoes, how is it from your view? Like, yeah, what do you need? This is why I've just said there, I'm, I'd like to think empathy is a big thing, but then, You've fully got in my head now about the other goalkeepers and what they. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Fully got He's in my broken. head. Broken because it's a question. I, I I genuinely have never considered what they think about that. Yeah. Whether they like that kind of me going first and. So here's your emotional fitness workout, right? Yeah. You go and ask them when you go back to I, your. I think part of that's ego based for you, Ben. For sure, it is. Like I don't think you can be a sports person without having an element of an ego. A hundred percent. You have to have some sort of an ego. You do. But I think that's why a lot of British athletes, look at the most successful British athletes in the last 10 years, okay? Pro- who are we going to say? Um, Lewis Hamilton. Oh, heck yeah. Well yeah. done, yeah. Andy Murray. Yeah. Is, it, is that British? Yeah, Andy, Andy Murray. British, yeah, yeah, British, yeah. Andy, yeah, Andy Murray. <laughs> Footballer, right? Rooney, Gerrard. particular yeah. come to mind. And the, a lot of the British public have a certain view on those guys. Yeah, they're not that big isn't fans, particularly, odd to say, if there is a lot of people that adore them, but I think it's because people think he's arrogant, he's cocky. And like, hey, look where they are. You've got to have an element of that in you. Yeah. And, and a little bit little bit spitefulness, a little bit of selfishness to get to that level, it, I, I really think is important. And again, is it selfish or is it, again, this... Drive? Yeah, I think, that, again, the way that we frame it, because language is important, but um, the ability also to distinguish that. I know you mentioned social media earlier on. If people are seeing you as arrogant, your ability to you know detach yourself from their opinion of you mm. and have a solid sense of who you are and what you're about like they're that's leaders the as well though people. they're yeah. leaders as well so it goes back to being leader lewis hamilton is is almost like the head of his his team yeah. and the arrogance the confidence kind of thing like look at yeah, me that's so- it. is it confidence is it arrogant you know yeah. i think we need to be i think we confuse things and then it shuts down people, yeah. right? Like it, it, saying somebody's confident is very different to calling them arrogant. You know, in football, like when they, you know that, um, what's the film where they go, the inches are everywhere. Pacino, that one, you know, that film. Oh, any Given called? Sunday? Any Given Sunday. Oh, when they movie? When, like I've had yeah, it, honestly. I've no. had, you've never, you, you'll have heard I've this. Heard of it, you've heard the speech where yeah. he goes, the inches are everywhere. They're in the thing, blah, blah, blah. 
I've had it at football clubs where we have been in a dire situation, right? And then they've gone, we've got a video to show you, lads. And then Al Pacino appears any given Sunday and, he, and everybody just goes, oh, for God's sake. It's like, that is like the last straw. That's the last resort. That's that is. Them. Lads, please just win. Come on, please. Just <laughs> when you see like shows. Pep, so for example, you see, uh, what I like about Pep is what, when you see bits behind the scenes that they feed you, yeah. you kind of go, what I love about him is that he's flex, stylus flexible. Seen him like clips of him in the changing room shouting and giving a bit and then you hear him delivering a message which is concise and to the point and he judges the situation he'll go this is what we need to do boom god we're out yeah. and i just think that's brilliant to have that flexible style have you ever watched ted lasso yes have you recently, seen it so everybody kept saying <laughs> I, I did my training some of my training in america and the americans were saying you need to watch ted lasso it's making me think about like over there is ted lasso big in america well, it's big in the people, like, with the psychologists Brilliant. that I know, but they were saying, like, is that what it's like? In the <laughs> so, so I have seen it, and I binged it. How good is it? Yeah, it was really like, good. Ted, honestly, Ted Lasso, right? I would play for this guy like you would not, but yeah. he doesn't even know what football Why is. Why would you play for him? Because, uh, do you know what it is about him, right? He's so, his empathy, again, is, is absolutely incredible, but he is just, he is what he is. Yeah. He's unashamedly him, yeah? yeah? And he don't, he... He, he cares about everything, but he will still always just be himself and he will always do it his way, even though people are visibly laughing at him yeah. and visibly taking the piss out of him. He doesn't care. But you spoke about that. It's being comfortable who you are. Isn't it? He yeah. is the most comfortable man in his own skin yeah. ever, isn't he? He's incredible. And this is it, right? People are perceptive, so we know if you're saying one thing, but there's something else going yeah, on. Yeah, I don't mean we, it. And it leaves us feeling really uncomfortable. Like, I don't know what's going on there. I can't put my finger on it. It's a trust thing. It's yeah. a trust thing. And the other part of that is, you know, the, the whole kind of blank face, if you give nothing, that is really unnerving yeah, to us. True, because yeah. we like to know how is somebody reacting yeah. to us. Yeah. So when people just say, like, don't give anything away, that actually is more anxiety-provoking for people. Yeah. So it's not about that. But, yeah, there's something just about being able to say, this person, again, knows who they are, right? Yeah. Which is the emotional fitness of a great leader. They know who it's they good, are. Yeah. yeah. It's such a good team. Oh, you need to watch it. I will, I will. I've got a good... Well, I think it's a good question. Right. So you hear the phrase, big game players in sport and pressure and... What does a big game player mean to you, Ben? Oh, yeah, big game player is... Um, so I always think the big games, when they come along, I, I honestly don't think you need to do anything different for a, for a big game as opposed to what might, you might say is a small game. So whether we're playing Norwich tomorrow or we've got the game that's going to get us relegated if we don't win, yeah? I honestly don't think you approach it in any different way because that's when... That's will provoke feelings that you're not used to dealing with. I think you're you're much better off doing it the same way, as long as you know you're doing it the right way and you're not cutting corners and all that kind of stuff. As long as you can do stuff in the right way, I think you just you always do it the same way. Like I say, games change on tiny little moments yeah. in games, mm -hmm. but changing something beforehand. It's not what you're ingrained to do. So, like, it's like, um, so, so I can change this to a different sport here, for example. So, say cycling, okay? Say um, <clears throat> in the in the velodrome on the track, right? Say you've got Chris Hoy. He has worked his socks off down to the tiniest, minute detail, right? Of this is how fast you're going to travel, and this is how many powers, how much power you're going to put out, okay? So, say it's a, a, a three lap race, right? Yeah. And the cyclist before him has beaten the time that Chris Hoy 
has got in his head that he's going to do, right? So this Chris Hoy has just worked for the last three, four years at working at this certain power because that's his maximum limit, yeah? And the guy before him's just beating his time. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. what does he do at this point, yeah? The coach has just gone, he's just beating his time. What are you going to do about it, Chris? He goes, I'll go faster. He can't just go faster. You have just worked for four years at a certain power, knowing that is your limit, knowing yeah. you, you can't just go faster. Yeah. You have to do what you know you can do. So that's what I'm talking about. You just have to do yeah. the same things. But, but what about, uh, yeah, I, it's a really interesting analogy, but I guess the uh, development of the question is, is there certain players, and it could be different sports, that, and that, let's not talk about big games, they only turn it on in big games, but when the pressure's on, they always seem to deliver. Like Steven Gerrard, yeah, important sure. goals, and he was brilliant every week when he played football. But the really big occasions, he just seemed to have Thrive. something Thrive. more. Extra. Now, is what yeah. what is that? We, we not what is it because that's yeah, the no, keys to the kingdom, to isn't it? Gerard, but um, we often talk about um, players that lead and leading players, and I guess you will notice this. You'll have seen like players that actually sack off training, but they turn up on match day. Yep. It, regardless, they bring it on match day. Um, and again, I think so. This is where it is really tricky because. People are so unique and so individual. I really like your example with Chris Hoy, by the way. I, I don't know what he would have done, question. by the way. <laughs> I honestly don't know the answer I think to that one. A great question, but um, that we we need obviously diversity in a team, of course, right? You need you have the official captain, and I know in a changing room you've got the unofficial yeah. people that also lead. So again, I think it's about. Um, I also agree with you about the consistency of your practice, right? That actually, if you try and change something when, you know, you've had no preparation, I was thinking of a marathon, you know, when people try and do something different in a yeah. marathon or, um, but that is often then what, what pivots people and, and actually it goes really badly yeah, wrong. Yeah. So being able to be consistent and adaptable though, that is another key, right? You can be consistent with your practice, but if you can adapt and change to the changing environment, that's when you're more likely to be able to be successful. So again, what is it that helps you to do that? Well, again, in training, are there times when you are, you know, not having it so rigid and regimented? Are you allowing free play? Are you doing things that are completely separate to your sport? Obviously you are, but, you know, are you finding different ways to be adaptable mentally too? Like not just physically, are you putting yourself out into situations that are uncomfortable? You just said there about players that sack training off, yeah. but then can turn up. Turn so up. Yeah, you will yeah. know in football, you have players who are, they would, they would be labeled as a match player. They're, yeah. they're, they're a match player though. Is that what they yeah. call them? Yeah. They're match players they're, they'll, yeah. that, you know, you can rely on them on a match. So yeah. reliability wow. in football is probably the, the biggest word when you, when you want to sign somebody, can you rely on him? Yes, you can rely on him. He's a, He's match, a match player. player. He's a match player. Don't worry about his training. Yeah? yeah. Don't worry about his training, but he is a match player. And, Nine out of ten managers will go, that'll do for me. Have you got some examples? Individual players? Yeah. Um, or is that? I'm I'm not a million miles away from being a... <laughs> <laughs> That's honest is that, of you. Yeah. Is, is that like um, famous one over the years? Is like Ledley King? Yeah. Partly because of the injuries. Yeah, is that, it, that was a, kind of forced on him, but you knew that put him on a match day and he was good to go. He can deal with it. You talked about it in the past. Carlos Tevez was a match player, wasn't he? And there you go. Perfect one. Absolutely the same sort of thing. He... He did not like training. He didn't yeah. enjoy training. He he must be the on the same sort of level where 
Like when I when I when I train, I don't have the adrenaline. But as soon as the match kicks off at three o'clock, this adrenaline boost comes over, yeah. and I can jump higher and I can kick further and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He is the biggest example of that I've ever seen in my life. He wouldn't really run in training. He wouldn't try a leg. He, yeah. If he was on your team in a six aside, you're losing because <laughs> he would. <laughs> but it took about it took a few months, but the lads would see that every Saturday afternoon he sure. would be there with bows and whistles on, and he was the main man, and he would run further than everybody, in more intense than anybody else. Can I say on that point? I think there is something really important about in, like encouraging the players to listen to their own body. So when I've worked with players that are like that, that you're speaking about, you know, like match day, that's it. Yeah. Often they'll say like, "I don't need to do this in training," or actually. I know I'm fatigued in this area and pushing myself here is actually going to make it worse for the match day and I'm going to be a liability on match day. So so I think there is something really about, again, that communication between the coach or, and as I'm sure it then built between the team, right? You were able to trust that he is going to show up. Yeah. He's not going to let us, even though he's not putting it all, his all in. That's in so honestly, that is so interesting you've just said that because knowing your own body in football is, it's almost like, we're taught to not know our own yes, body now. Honestly, we're, we're, it's almost like technology is so advanced now yeah. and there's something to read every part of your body and they honestly... They're outsourcing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they won't... People won't ask you anymore, how do you feel? Yeah. Like I'm talking physically. They won't They'll ask, tell you. They will tell you because they've got a heart rate monitor on you. HRV, they've got yeah. your fatigue, blah, blah, blah. So interesting. And they, they will honestly, they won't listen. Like the, you, a player might go, oh, my hamstring feels a little bit. I feel if I go out today, I might pull it. They'll be like, yeah, but you, um, you haven't run much. Like yesterday, you didn't do many miles. So you need to do it today to make sure you're, and they'll go out and invariably that's where you pick up the little injuries and yeah, niggles and do. stuff. Right. 100% I agree with that. And I see it all the time. This is where, this is, this is again though, that this is, has to be like, this is where people's skills come into play and yeah. where a really good coach, empathy. a top coach, empathy, a top coach, somebody that knows his players, assigned the players because he's done their due diligence on them. He trusts them. Trust goes both ways. Yeah, trust goes both ways. Yeah, You've got to be able to ask your player, like, how are you feeling? And trust that actually I've had players that have walked off mid-training because that's the right thing for them. It's not being arsy. It's not them having a hissy fit. It's not them being arsy. It's actually they know their body. And I have to say the really fine-tuned elite athletes do know their body. I mean, it's like a finely tuned car, right? It is. It is. They know their body in like inside out. And we need to be listening to that. You don't dismiss that because what are you encouraging when you do that? Them to override that, dial down that, and again, injuries. And if you look at them particular points in the season, you'll see injuries get really high, right? And it's not just about the number of matches, that obviously is important, the number of matches yeah, you sure. played, but it's, are we listening to our players? Are we listening to them in training? What's going on? Yeah, it's good, Very isn't it? Good. We are we are nearly there. We're conscious we've been talking for nearly an hour and a half and we could talk for another <laughs> five brilliant. hours. No, I love it. One, I love it. It's been so good. One point we didn't get onto, but I'd, we would love to kind of pick your brains on the social media aspect oh, and how, yes. wow. how players deal with that. So Ben, do you want to start us off with okay, yeah. how you've dealt with social media now and over the years? So I'd say for me, I, I think quite luckily... Um, when I was younger, sort of when I was at Manchester United, for example, when I was really sort of like well-known and blah, 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 um, social media wasn't really a thing. Twitter, yeah. Instagram, it wasn't a big deal kind of thing. So it's not really, I wasn't really exposed to it so much. Yeah. But then as I've gotten older, one of the one of my biggest bugbears is players searching their own names or getting in the comments and looking what people are saying to them. And I will, 
I will say I've done it myself for sure. I've done it myself now. As I like I say, as I'm older, I don't. I might look at it, but it doesn't. It won't enter. You know what I mean? I'm very. I, I understand what it is. Like an itch that needs. Yeah, to be like yeah. You, you, you're aware of it, but you kind of take it for what it is because in my head, that person's view shouldn't really impact you or whatever. Anyway, and that's the way I try and explain it to young players. Anyway, but I can tell you for a fact that 100% of players playing will search their name they will get in the comments and i know it actually affects them it gets in their head and it is awful to see it really really is yeah i i agree i think it's so hard isn't it like i similarly you know if you think about your childhood and i actually am so glad there was not social media during the time growing up um but it can in my experience it, it brings both positive and negative so i think this is the other thing like on the positive side of things i've heard people say they feel more connected to their fans the fans that aren't trolling them obviously um they feel like they can represent whether it's their country or their team they like they feel connected to that uh if it's family i mean you know obviously not normally over social media but it's a way of keeping in touch and connection it also is a way of showing people who i really am behind this facade of a footballer footballer, yeah. yeah yeah Um, like it's actually your voice and and also obviously it leads on to post-career like post yeah yeah yeah. and then the negative sides which are um it's so immediate you post one wrong tweet or you have a bad you know bad day and it's out there for the world to see millions of people we are not designed to have millions of people looking at us and judging us that is not how we were like our psychology our social psychology is built um and it's so hard because if you think about it, many people don't know this, but the brain is still developing into the late 20s, early 30s. So your brain is not fully formed as a 24-year-old. Mm. Like we think of people as adults at that point, but they're not. So this really does change the brain, right? When you're seeing things that are incredibly negative, it is going to affect you know, self-esteem. And I think it is that it's about being able to be intentional and put in appropriate boundaries around how much am I engaging with social media yeah. and look let's face it like technology hasn't come with a rule book right we've all just all of a sudden got these phones oh. we've got the internet at the tip of our fingers nobody's saying this is how much you should be using it or that and it is addictive we know that too right so there's so much that I think it's it's how you use it it's how you engage in it um and I think it's that part, like, you know, through experience, right? You did it. Mm. You learned the hard way. And often we can try to think, and it's, I've, I spoke to a lot of people who are later on in their career and they go in and they talk to the younger ones and, and they go, but I know it's not going to make any difference. They're going to go and do it. No, and, they will. They and do they it. Will. They will. 100% of players do it. Yeah. Like, literally so 100%. How can we help them? Like knowing that what can you put in place in my mind like because it's the future them that has the more experience current them doesn't so what can we put in place to deal with okay so I've seen x amount like when I read this amount what am I going to do what do I like internally we are going to have a reaction to that you know if somebody was attacking us that brings up feelings in us whether we know them or not so what am I going to do with that it's I think it's about the forethought that goes into it because you can't say just don't do it, right? Like it's They're going to do it. They the are. the ratios, <clears throat> work. your mind works in a strange, in weird ways, doesn't it? Because there might be a hundred comments on a Foscast video yeah. and you might read through and there's 99 really positive ones. 
and I'm one not, bad one. Yeah. And it's really interesting because people around you, like you've had it over the years, where people around you will take the negative one and send it to you. <laughs> and you then go, and I've never experienced anything like Just this. Just underline it. Yeah. And I've never experienced anything like this. And recently, like, you know, the, the podcast comes up and, uh, you know, our audience is amazing. People genuinely. were calling you Casper Schmeichel again, weren't they? <laughs> it's well out of order. Someone likes it. <laughs> the one, the one got, I'll take that every day. But, <laughs> but the one, some, uh, that was the one video I meant, and like someone said, oh, yeah, Tom's a twat, whatever, let's say. <laughs> and then someone sends it, me, goes, look at that. And I'm like, <laughs> What do you want me to say to that? Thanks very much. That yeah. makes me feel good. Yeah, do you know what I, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I do. And I think it is hard, isn't it? Because the other thing it was making me think about is the people also that we didn't, when we went back to the great leaders, they they give themselves credit. And yes, they want to improve, but they, they really can celebrate themselves well. So they don't just get stuck on that one, right? They are able to take that 99 and know what they're doing really well and enhance that and do that even better right that's just as important so um again it's i think it's about how do you get out of it it's not about that we can just avoid it we can't just you know close our eyes off to these things because it happens and again being able to separate out and see this is often about something that is being projected like the intention behind somebody sending you that like what's that about, right? Like yeah. this is something about them. Don't bang out of order. Yeah. So, but but being able to separate ourselves. Yeah, that's probably not, more yeah. about them than it is you, yeah. to be honest. So with what, you know, but it's like people tend to. But you look a bit back, going back years. I remember ringing you. We talked about it when like someone's going on Ben on. I think it was like on Talksport about fifteen years ago, and I'm going. Ben, this person's saying that, and I'm. I know you must be thinking, why the fuck are you ringing me and telling me this? I don't, need to, this, I don't need to know that. I think. I think it's important. So it depends what kind of arena you're in, right? So say if like you're a podcast, like a podcaster, or you're a business, and it, it's probably important to read those sort of comments, engage, like you say, what you're doing well and yeah. what you might need to change or yeah. alter. But I honestly think when it comes to sports people. I don't think you can take any one of them comments seriously. I honestly don't think you can. Because whether it's brilliant, mediocre, or the worst, I think the only people, especially in sports, that you should be listening to is probably your coach, your parents, your family, your your close loved ones. That's about the only... These are people's perceptions of you, right? They're not you. There is a different... There's a gap, right? There's their perception, there's the gap, and then there's you. And so it's always through the filter of how they're seeing it so yes if you take that as gospel it's about them you know rather than it being about as we were just saying like listening to my own body or yeah my wife knows me better than anybody else or whatever it might be so being able to kind of again be selective about who are you seeking this advice and guidance yeah. from? yeah <laughs> but it's like it, you said about it in the past you you can't get too high when you win and you can't get yeah. too low it's about the importance of being consistent there, isn't yeah. it yeah just stay there like don't, like i say you, it's, it's brilliant when you win and celebrate it for sure yeah. but then don't take it home and like i i know for a fact it's probably not probably but i know for a fact there's a lot of people out there sports people it could be um, could be just fans, for example. Like they lose a game, they go home, and they'll take it out on the family. Yeah. The family will suffer because of yeah. whatever's happened in the last couple of but hours. They're the nearest and dearest to you. They're like, yeah, for sure. like one thing I kind of say, and it doesn't like you argue with your wife, your children, and stuff, and it doesn't make it right. But you kind of you're closest to you see the absolute best of you and the absolute worst yeah, of you, yeah. don't they? Yeah. And it's yeah. 
and they're trying try not to but like say sports people in general because it's their world a lot of people this is why I always think that it's so important to have other avenues of interest other yes. things that can take your mind off yeah. it because you shouldn't be defined as a footballer you shouldn't you're a person you're a human Football being what you do. Yeah. you're exactly you're a son you're a daughter you're a husband father whatever it is that's what you are yeah. and then your job is that and that's great and you have to be professional and it pays the bills and it will give you this amazing lifestyle but you then can't take that home and impact the family because you've had a bad day at work or a bad result or something yeah on on that i've recently been working with somebody who was saying pretty much exactly the same because when the morale and the mood is down with the team right if that is your only network yeah how do you how do you cope with that so this is why you need to have different support bubbles different you know people that you go to different interests because when things are going badly in here we need to be able to pull on something else. We need to be able to go to other people. Mm. We need somebody outside of the team where we can, you know, just cut back, let loose, whatever yeah. it might be. So it's really common though, I think when, and obviously it comes with its own difficulties because when you're in the limelight, you you are seen a, a certain way. So it can be really difficult to then find these things that a lot of people speak to me about. I don't even know what I like, right? You know, I don't know who I am outside of football. Really? Because it's been their life since, yeah. you know, if you think about it, academy level, like this is... That's it's quite sad, isn't it, really? Yeah. It is. I think that's for part two on retirement. Yeah. Because the transition's there. There's a lot more we want to talk about. So I think maybe maybe that's a good Honestly, one for part two. That, thank you so much. Yeah. That was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was. I told you it was going to be fascinating. No, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. But we it. really do appreciate that. Dr. Suzanne Brown, thank you so Pleasure. much. You're welcome. We always finish every episode, by the way, by doing Up the Fozcast. Up the Fozcast. Down the lens of that camera. Oh, this one. Up the Fozcast. Uh, up the Fozcast. Up the Fozcast. Brilliant. Well done. Brilliant. Very good. Very good. Yeah, really good. Enjoyed that. Really, really good. good.